bulletin, you'll see the text for today's sermon is from Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 through uh, 16. Uh, that's too much <laughs> um, for us to do this morning. Uh, last week, somebody came up to me and said, you know, that was a great seven or eight sermons you did in um, one. And so I don't want to do that anymore because how much comfort and conviction can you take? I don't want you to explode. So uh, we're just going to look at the first five verses uh, uh, today. We're just going to uh, uh, kind of uh, engage a bit with that. So um, in light of that, let me pray. Lord, we thank you today for uh, the privilege and uh, the great gift it is to have your words written down to us. Uh, Forgive us for taking those for granted and uh, forgive us for not uh, paying uh, attention to those words. Pray that you would help us today. I pray that you would, um, by your spirit, uh, give us hearts that are quick uh, to receive uh, and to engage uh, with the things you speak. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Galatians 6, uh, 1 to 5, it's in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So let me start out this morning by asking you a question. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Right. Do you ever think about that when you're when you're asleep at night uh, in uh, in, or getting ready to go to sleep uh, and you have those moments where or maybe you can't sleep? You know, one one of the things that's uh, so uh, awesome about uh, my wife is that she takes those nights where she can't sleep as a gift because she thinks that's an opportunity to pray for everybody, which, you know, for me, actually, those opportunities to pray sometimes make me more anxious, you know, because I'm like, oh, gee, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. I really need to pray harder for that, or this needs to happen, or, or that that needs to happen. But uh, maybe at night when you go, uh, when you put your head down, what's the thing that might make you anxious? You know, I think we, we live in a, a day and an age where much of what we think might be the worst thing to happen to us might, might not be getting sick, might not be something like that, but it might be getting exposed. Like something you wrote 20 years ago now popping up on the Internet. Or somebody finding out what you're really like or... Maybe you've got a secret sin that suddenly comes to light and everybody sees it. And now everybody's talking about you, right? Um, when uh, our middle child, who was a classic middle child, was younger, uh, he had done disobeyed and I was having a heart-to-heart with him and we were going through our process of discipline. And he said, can you stop for a minute? And I thought, this is awesome. He's going to repent. And he said, you know, when you're done, I'm leaving. <laughs> and uh, I'm not coming back. 
I'm going to find a policeman and tell him what a terrible dad you are. It's really cute, right? Fun? You like that? But you know what I thought? I thought, you know, I don't want anybody to know that I'm not that good a dad. Right? One of the things that happens to us, and I think one of the things that drives an awful lot of our behavior and drives an awful lot about who we are and how we think about things is, is the fear that somehow or other somebody somewhere might find out what goes on inside the four walls of your life and might see you and understand you for who you are. Because uh, the, the fact of the matter is one of the things that I know more and more as I do this job is that every single one of us has a shameful thing going on or maybe more than one shameful thing. Um, that we think if people knew this about me, I would be exposed. I would be caught out in the open, uh, and it would be made, my reputation would be lost. My people would talk about me, and I would be found out to be, um, you know, well, not that great. So one of the things that I think is is interesting is in this text that we've read today, uh, Paul uh, addresses what we would think would be the worst thing that could happen to us. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. To be caught uh, here means to be trapped, to be publicly displayed in something terrible. You cheated on your taxes. You committed fraud. You got a DUI. Your uh, children came forward and said, what a terrible person you are. Your roommate goes and tells everyone, uh, as soon as this lease is up, I'm, I'm getting them out of here. They're terrible people to live with. Right? And so we hear that and we think that would be the worst thing ever, right? That that, that might happen to us. And so what you would ex- and, and, and what you would expect to happen then in this text is for the next four verses for Paul to address the person caught in the transgression. But who's really in trouble? Who's really in danger? Not the person who's caught. The next four verses address us, the spiritual ones. Right? I mean, in some way, weirdly, and and please don't misinterpret this, that I'm giving somebody a blank check to sin. But when you're exposed, you're exposed. It's out there. Right. And so ironically, what happens to us in this text here, the the whole point of this is, is the, the burden of someone being caught in a terrible public transgression. When someone finally gets exposed, the, the, the point that Paul wants us to understand and where he wants us to come down on that is, is to understand that the real danger now is not on the person who's been exposed, but on the rest of us. And why is that? Well, I think there's, I think, there, I think what's underlying the fear of exposure and uh, the failure of us to deal with our friends and family and neighbors when they get publicly exposed is one thing, and it is pride. 
Because pride feeds on shame and, and feeds on all of that so that we, we, we want to at least maintain the facade that nobody could see that this is what I'm really like and this is what I struggle with. And the same thing is true about what we do when we have, find somebody who's transgressed like that. What do you do with that person? You're like, wow, at least I'm not like that. I've done a lot of things in my life, but woo, I'm not as bad as that guy, right? The, uh, uh, Catholic uh, theologian St. Thomas Aquinas said that uh, he liked to catalog things and, and lay out, you know, the worst and the best and that kind of stuff. And he thought that the worst uh, sin uh, that human beings commits, the sin of pride, uh, and that, in fact, that God in his mercy would allow us to be exposed as adulterers, uh, drunks, drug addicts, uh, mean jerks, that that those things would get exposed about us so that God could get at the bigger thing, our pride. Well, what's ironic in this passage is, is that the burden there that, that we see as we unpack this is not just that you get uncovered as somebody who has a besetting secret sin that is publicly transgressive and, and scandalous, but the, the burden now in this passage is those of us who love this person, who have the spirit of God, that's what means those of you who are spiritual, what that means, what are you going to do about it and how are you going to handle it? Because honestly, you're in the biggest spiritual jeopardy because of your pride, right? So what's the pathway to avoiding uh, that worst thing? Well, you would think, right, that if the worst thing is being publicly exposed as having some kind of transgression, I can tell you the easy way to avoid that one, don't transgress. <laughs> Just don't do it, right? <laughs> That's the best way to avoid that. Uh, but since we you know, have a problem with transgressing, then... Then that's, that's a little, that's a little more problematic. So the, the issue that Paul is getting at here for us is how then do we avoid, uh, falling into temptation and falling into the trap that someone else's sin and someone else's transgression, uh, might put us in, right? And so what's the real burden of this text? And what's the real burden for us? And how do we get at this this morning? So that's, 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 that's what I want us to look at, uh, uh, this morning as we go through this. Let's, next, next slide, please. So, um, so most of us would agree, as Paul says here in this text, right? If anyone is caught in a transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's b- burdens. And so what he's going to tell us here is that the way we keep watch on ourselves and the way we restore somebody with gentleness is that we bear their burdens, right? So most of us would agree that if we see a friend with a burden, we want to do something to help lighten or even lift that burden, right? I mean, uh, the, the fact is we spend an awful lot of time looking, looking around for that, right? Um, uh, we just heard a burden being lifted in the, in, uh, the announcements today, right? When someone in this congregation has a baby, not that a baby's a burden, but you know what I mean, you know, that things are a little bit challenging. What do we do? We fix them a meal. That's a way to lift some of that burden, right? That's a way, to, that's a way to share that. You know that if you have a friend who gets sick with cancer, or someone who has a family member who dies, 
There's a burden and we are moved by compassion. We are moved when we see that to do something to help them early on in the life of the church. Uh, one of the things that happened here was that people would see someone in their neighborhood who uh, who went to this congregation who was in some sort of trouble or sickness or someone had died and they would see people from the church flocking there to cut the grass and and to, to do those sorts of things. And it was a beautiful thing. Right. So so lifting burdens is something that we hear about and something that we can get charged up about and something that we can get excited about, because what we're looking for when we do that is for the people with the deserving burdens. Right. So and so's dad died, so they deserve some compassion. So and so's done this or or had this done to them. So they they deserve compassion. So and, and we should do that when people are sick or sad or hurting or whatever. You know what? One of the ways we we fulfill the law of Christ is we lift their burden, help lift their burden. But guess what? That's not who this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about the undeserving, right? We're, they're talking about what he's getting at here is, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Bear one another's burdens. The burden that we're talking about here is the burden that this other person has of now being publicly exposed as, as transgressing. This, the, that's the, the burden now gets shifted off of them in many ways and gets put on us, right? So that's the kind of burden that this passage is talking about. The fact of the matter is what we tend to think is when someone that we know, someone that we love gets exposed, what's our tendency to do is to say, oh, they're tainted. You know, I want to get away from them. It's like it's like some kind of sick Amish thing, right? That that what we do when somebody's publicly transgressive is we shun them. Oh, I don't want to I don't want to be around them. I don't want anybody to know that I know them. Years ago, early on in, in the life of the church, I was with a group of guys and, and, and I was trying to build some connections with them. And, and I, they were in a particular industry that somebody who was helping start the church was in. And I said, hey, you know, uh, do you know, do you know that guy? And they're like, yeah, we know him. How do you know him? I'm like, he goes to my church. And they were like, what? <laughs> that guy goes to church? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. He goes to your church? What kind of church you got there, Steve? Now you're wondering, was they talking about me? So, Jay Bird, I saw that. <laughs> right? And at first I was like, oh, that is so humiliating. That is terrible. And then I thought, well, you know, that's who we are. That's who Jesus is drawing. And the fact of the matter is, you know, maybe I need to go talk to this guy and find out why people think that about him. But the, but, but to do it in a way that's gentle and meek. But you know, that's who we're supposed to associate with. You know, because Jesus was all about lifting burdens, right? He he went around looking for the deserving burden to to associate with, right? You know. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, stealing from you in the name of the government. Everyone in the village hates him. Jesus seeks him out. The woman that everybody knows in the village is a sinner. She comes and she washes his feet and Jesus 
associates with her, right? So the fact of the matter is, when, when someone in our midst, someone that we love, is publicly transgressive, suddenly the what is supposed to happen here is, and the way the gospel is supposed to work itself out in our lives and in the way in which we deal with that person, is now the burden is on us uh, to love that person and to restore them uh, with with uh, meekness. Uh, John Piper says this, we, we tend to think of burdens as sickness, unemployment, loss of a loved one, loneliness, rejection, etc., and the people who bear them, uh, are uh, uh, the kind of people that we feel like they deserve, you know, to uh, that we should be about the business of helping them bear those burdens. But Paul shows us in verse 1 that burdens include trespasses, and those who oppressed include culprits. I like this because of that, that actually the, the church will be known as a place of restorative grace and mercy and justice when we help carry the burden of the culprit of the public trans, transgression, right? So we should probably define a burden then as anything that threatens to crush the joy out of our faith, whether a tragedy that threatens us to make us doubt God's goodness or to drag us into guilt and judgment, right? That's a pretty profound thing for us, right? Because as we read this, you know, it seems like the thing that we would think was most often uh, uh, true is that, you know, we want to keep ourselves as uh, as away from, uh, uh, as, as, as distant from these kind of people as we possibly can. And yet what Paul says is actually we move closer to them so that we can participate in lifting their burdens. That is the nature of grace. That is the nature of mercy. And that is the nature of being a part of a community uh, that loves and lives with one another, right? Because the fact of the matter is a person who's caught in sin needs help. They need help. They need a lot of help. Um, and, and, and the fact is that the, the, re, the, the first thing that the person that's caught in sin needs help with is they need the opportunity for somebody to love them enough to come alongside them, to say to them, what you did here was wrong. What you are doing is wrong. It is a sin. This is what Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to free you of. Right? Don't get caught in this anymore. But the fact is, we, 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 we're able, we, we, we say that to one another. But Paul wants us to be careful that when we help one another and we lift one another's burdens by that, that we're doing that in a way that we fulfill the law of Christ by lifting that burden. And we do it with gentleness. Well, you fulfill the law of Christ by loving. The law of Christ is love God, love your neighbor, right? And, and gentleness is one of those things that Paul has just listed in the previous chapter that's a fruit of the Spirit. And so how do I find myself in a position to go and help lift the burden of the person who's done something publicly embarrassing? How do I go and I do that? Well, the way you go and begin to do that is you love them enough to get close enough to them and say, yeah, you know, that thing that you did, it's wrong. Uh, you don't have any real excuses for that. And uh, I'm going to walk with you through this process as you repent and as we move towards restoration and repair. Because that word there that's, that's translated to restore them is the same word that's used as the disciples are repairing their nets on the side of the lake one day when Jesus sees them. Repair needs to happen, right? 
Now, the, the thing that we hear about this is, is you know, what is, what is the pathway for us to be able to do that? Well, the pathway for us to be able to do that, to restore somebody with gentleness and to restore somebody uh, by fulfilling the law of Christ is humility, right? Doesn't, you know, in our culture and, and, and among us, it seems like the opposite of humility is to tell somebody they're sinning. Right? Right? How dare you? You're judging. Right? Yeah. There you go, Olivia. You, you, you heard that? I mean, yeah. You've, you've heard that before, right? That um, don't judge. So um, I'm here to tell you uh, that part of the way we love one another Part of the way Jesus loves us is we help one another by identifying our sin, right? We help one another. Someone is going to love me enough to see what I don't see. Someone's going to love me enough to come alongside me when what I didn't see has overtaken me and trapped me. Somebody's going to love me enough to come alongside of me and to challenge me, right? To say, hey, you know what? The, the pathway here to deal with this trap uh, is to repent and to believe the gospel. And so, so it's like what, what Martin Luther said uh, so many years ago, right? What do you, what is a caterpillar caught in a ring of fire? How does he get out of that ring of fire? How do you get caught out of this trap of sin? The only way out is straight up. The only way out is to repent. And so we love one another when we are humble enough to come to a friend and put our hand on their shoulder and say, my friend, this is a sin. Uh, but we have a remedy for sin. That is the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ. You, you, we're, we're, you're going to repent, and I am going to help you with that, and I'm going to walk alongside you to do this. Now, the way we tend to think about that is I would, I, it's the height of pride to tell somebody that they're sinning. When in fact, what I would, what it would, I would tell you uh, that it is the height of pride to say, I can't judge anybody. You know why? Because the person that says, I can't love you enough to tell you that what you're doing is sinning. I mean, what? That seems so judgy. You know what you're, you're doing? You're, you're afraid of people. You have the fear of man in you. And when you have the fear of man in you and you're, the fear of your own reputation or the, that, that sort of thing going on inside of you, that, that sets you apart from being able to say, look, you know, I'm just like you. I am a broken sinner in need of a savior. Uh, and maybe your sin is particularly out there. It's particularly technicolor. It's particularly public, but I will walk with you in this. You know, there's been a, um, uh, believe it or not, there's been a, a kind of a controversy among some Christian writers and some Christian people about that uh, great uh, devotional TV show, The Bachelorette. Do you know that? I actually read a, do you know what The Bachelorette is? I hope none of you do. No, that's, that's judging. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, The Bachelorette. Uh, so I don't know if you know, are familiar with these shows, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Um, I, have, I have been on the fringe of this a little 
Uh, I think I know what goes on there, and I think I don't really like what goes on there. So I, let me confess that off, right off the beginning. I'm not, I'm not a fan, but I did watch an episode or two recently because I read an article on the Gospel Coalition about the Bachelorette. Because there was a guy on the Bachelorette who I was told was a jerk, and he probably is, uh, who confronts the bachelorette with her behavior towards the other boys, the other boys, uh, on the show, and that he believes in Jesus and that he would have to withdraw if she continued in that and she wanted him to participate in that, which I'm like, dude, didn't you know that you were going to do this when you got on the show to begin with? Anyway, he probably is a jerk. Uh, certainly a naive guy, if that's the way he really thought. And, and he probably didn't confront the bachelorette in the way in which he should have, but he confronts her and she's like, you can't judge me. I am a Christian too, and it's okay what I'm doing. Well, no, it's not. And if I were you, you know, if I were in that situation, I'd probably get caught in the same thing, but what she's doing is not right. It's not good. And if Jesus were there, he would tell her to stop it, right? To repent, to trust him, right? So the fact, the fact of the matter is, right, that, that, is where, that is where this begins. Well, this guy gets, you know, of course, he's now castigated because he said you shouldn't do that. He probably should have said it with more gentleness, but he should have said it. And then, uh, you know, when, when that happens to us, when we call on someone to repent and as they repent, we walk with them and we take the burden with them and we associate with them and we love them and we help them bear the burden of their shame and their sin and the mess that comes along with public transgression and we walk with them through that, right? Now, the fact of the matter is, uh, how are we going to do that? Well, it's interesting because the way he, Paul seems to contradict himself here. He says, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. And that, what, what Paul's getting at there is the thing that we all do, right? The, the fact is one of the things that the, the, the way you can tell whether you're prideful or not is as you test your own work and then your reason to boast will be in yourself alone and not in your neighbor. What does that mean? Well, what that means is the way we tend to deal with sin is, did you hear about what Steve did? Man, I, you know, I, I've sinned before, but I've never done anything like that. Right? We're, we're, we're testing ourselves by our neighbor. We are looking at our neighbor, comparing ourselves with them and deciding, you know what? I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. Uh, uh, because this other person over here did something that I would never do. And frankly, for those of us who are really caught up in shame, it kind of, we get a sense of relief when somebody else is caught and the, the spotlight is on them, because at least for now, nobody's going to shine it on me and I won't get exposed, right? So rather than look at our, our, our neighbor as the, the thing that we kind of use to evaluate how we're doing or where we are, 
No, we're each responsible for our own load of sin. And if I look at my load and I understand my load for what it is, that unless Christ redeems me from that and changes me and reorients me, I'm in just as much danger or more danger than the person who's been caught. Listen, here's the thing today. You know, the the truth of the matter is... Um, what the gospel does for us is it shines a light on us. And sometimes, frankly, you're, you and I are afraid of the light. But in the light, there's freedom. There's freedom for the person who's been caught and exposed. But there's also freedom for the person who walks alongside them, who loves them, who gently restores them. Walk in the light. Don't fear the darkness. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together by using this prayer uh, of confession uh, that's uh, uh, printed uh, in your bulletin from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his followers. When you step forward today to take this bread and to take this cup, you are saying that you have access to Jesus Christ and all of his benefits and blessings because he lived your life 
died your death. You have access today, not because you haven't been publicly exposed for the sinner that we all are. You don't have access today because you uh, of your reputation. You have access today because Jesus saw you for who you were, came and redeemed you. That's your hope, right? And so that's the that's really the the profound nature of the gospel, right? Because uh, and that's why Paul is so careful to warn us, and that's why the table is such a gift to us. Because if we begin to think that we are something, that is, if we begin to think independent of the work of Christ, these things could never happen to me. This could never happen to me. I could never do that. I would never do that. I would never find myself in that situation. If we ever find ourselves thinking like that, then the gospel is pretty slippery to us. But when we come to the table, we're acknowledging the fact that without the work of Jesus Christ, we're dead. Praise God that Jesus is in the business of giving the dead life. He calls to the valley of dry bones. And he gives them life. The only reason why I have life today is because Jesus has given it to me. The only reason why you have life today is because Jesus has given it to you. That is where true freedom and true humility and ironically true power to love one another and to bear one another's burdens comes from. So if you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you know that without the work of Christ in you, without his spirit, without him enabling you to hear and to believe and to take him at his word, you'd be lost in your own pride, lost in your own degradation. But you know Jesus, he's your hope. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. Then he welcomes you today to be renewed, to be nourished, to be restored, and to be re-reminded today that uh, uh, you are a sinner and Jesus loves sinners. As the um, uh, elders and deacons come down forward to assist me today, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.